Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Audrey Simons and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon. Here with my co-host, Audra Simons. Hi, Audra. Good morning, good morning, Rachel. Good morning. And it's a really good morning to our guest today. We just found up, but, you know, it's 6 a.m. his time on the West Coast. Um, <laughs> please welcome back to the podcast, Rich Eatry. He is Chief Innovation Officer at ECI. He has more than two decades of experiencing experience managing IT within the financial services industry. Rich, welcome back. Excited to be here, Rachel, and you know, great to be here with Audra as well. You know, this is such a relevant topic. I feel like I spend half my days talking about you know SEC cybersecurity, and then the other half talking about AI. So it's, it comes almost naturally these days. I, I go to bed thinking about it. I wake up hearing about it. It's, uh, it's, it's like a these stalker. topics are so. Yeah, oh God, these topics are so relevant these days. It's, so. it's, I mean, it's wonderful to see the evolution. I think it was, um, you were back, we were last spoke, I think April 22. And at the time, yeah. uh, you know, you're the only person I've met who read the whole 250 page proposal from the SEC on their proposed cybersecurity guidelines. And now here we are, fast forward about a year and a half later, uh, you know, and they're moving forward, you know, and, and I'd be really curious since you've, you have that lens from the proposal to now, kind of what, what have you seen evolve or, you know, kind of what, what are, what are any differences, if any, right, between the proposal that went through the comment period uh, and what we're seeing today? You know, I don't think there was any kind of fundamental changes. I think what happened was there was kind of deeper clarification around some of the broader statements that, you know, the SEC was proposing in there. Mm-hmm. The, I think, you know, one of the areas that I think people were hoping for some clarity around, you know, which, you know, there really wasn't any. And I think, you know, we're going to have to live with it is the um, reporting rule. Right. I think that you know, we were happy to see a reporting rule in there because it was very ambiguous before there was I mean, it was completely like gray area. Now they give a little guidance around when to report. But I still think it's it's a little bit of a concern, right, for organizations. And it is still like there is still a little bit of gray matter there that I think has to be sorted out, you know, over time. But I think fundamentally, um, the premise of the rule like hasn't changed. And I think in general, like, you know, it, this is really what the industry needs. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I hate to kind of say it, but like I, I think sometimes if you're not forced to do it, um, especially on the smaller organizations, they just don't want to they, they're not going to move forward and do it. And a lot of this rule is really, to me, like best practices. I know we talked about the last time I was on the on the podcast. There was nothing in there that I was like, oh, my God, like, why are they asking you to do that? That's crazy. Like only really advanced firms, large organizations should do it. It's like these are things you should be doing anyway. These are things that I've done in my previous role as a CIO and CTO and things I recommend to our clients, you know, every day. Um, so I think it's good that we finally put a stake in the ground and are, are starting to drive this you know, forward because the threat landscape only gets worse. Right. You know, it's you know, the there's new vulnerabilities every day, you know. This, you know, threat actors are basically companies now. They're they're going after like, you know, they operate like businesses. They, they generate revenue. They have cost. Right. This is a full blown right. business now. 
And if you don't see that and treat it as such, right, you're you're going to get compromised, and it could, you know, be the downside of your organization. So, question for you around the adoption of the SEC um, requirements: What do you think are going to be the biggest challenges? Because like businesses are all different sizes, have all different kind of budgets to be able to apply to these kind of changes. What do you think are going to be the biggest challenges that they'll face? You know, I think there, even when you kind of read through the document, the SEC kind of talks about your cybersecurity program quite a bit, right? They use the word program throughout, you know, in, in talking about it. And they also mention around right-sizing your cybersecurity program to your organization. So I think the expectation isn't that you have like a CISO if you're a 40-person firm. But, you know, they do expect you to be doing certain things to be able to manage that, that risk. Um, you know, I think... Building out the program, I think, is what gets a lot of angst into people. And it's something that is probably a little unfamiliar. You know, we were talking about that briefly before, you know, the, the, the podcast. I think there's been a lot of, you know, purchasing of software and cybersecurity tools over the last several years. A lot of companies are making a lot of money off of that. But no one has really kind of brought together all of the components of what is a good cybersecurity program together so that you could manage it, report on it, and have controls and governance around it. And I think when you begin to think about that, that is where like firms started like, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I bring that together? Because when the SEC comes in, you know, you're going to want to be able to report on that. So you're going to want to be able to say, hey, here's my program. Here's how I align with industry standards. Here's how we score against those. Here's our risk register. Here's how we're managing vendors and all those components that make up a good you know, program. Um, and it's, you know, that I think is, is that kind of like daunting part that that gets people you know, a little concerned. So what, what kind of core components would your expectations hold for a robust um, products to bring together? Because you're saying no one's doing it. What are we missing? Well, it's not that no one's doing it. I think, you know, large organizations are doing it. You know, I advise our clients and the ones that I advise are doing it. So it's, I think that, you know, it really starts all with good IT hygiene. And, you know, I've always said this before, like when, you know, to our clients and when I've kind of managed things, that cybersecurity really starts there. If you don't have good IT hygiene, I don't care what kind of tool you have, you're going to have a lot of risk. And good IT hygiene means you have policies, procedures, and controls around your environment. So documenting how you manage IT, how you manage change in your environment, how you manage permissions, you know, technology and devices, and making sure that they're accurate is the biggest piece, right? And that's the foundation everyone needs to start from. You know, one thing that I've I've seen a lot over the years is people go and they buy these like boilerplate, you know, policies and procedures. And that's great because everyone needs a starting point. And a lot of organizations are similar. But what the regulators look for, are are you actually abiding to those policies, procedures and controls? So if you say you're patching, you know, monthly, show me the report. Are you patching monthly? Oh, you're not. You're only patching quarterly. Right. So like, you know, you have to make sure, you know, that those policies and procedures really match kind of what you're doing. 
um, and that you could actually the, the control is the ability to be able to report on that and show evidence of of that that policy is being implemented properly. And I think starting there to make sure those are complete and really are aligned with your IT environment. The other problem I see with them is often that as change happens in the environment, so you implement new systems, you bring on new businesses, you don't update those policies and procedures. And as a result, they're, they're, they're out of date as well. So making sure that those are aligned and that you have a process to make sure that you update those on a regular basis is, is going to be the foundation for building out that program. And that's something you don't really need to do with technology. It's really about that kind of people and, and, and process piece. So. so in terms of the, the big changes around this, um, around the new regulations, particularly with reporting um, incidents, like even if they take place outside of the country, how are these companies going to be able to do that? Because sometimes companies aren't fully joined up. You're not. And, and I think that that is generally going to be the, the reporting piece is going to be a challenge. Yeah. Right? I think larger organizations you know, who are dealing with you know, threats every day and risks every day are going to have to really come up with a good framework to kind of bring those you know, to the forefront and have someone make a decision on whether or not they need to be reported on. You know, if you're if you have a U.S. employee who's traveling to London, their their laptop is hacked. They had investor data on there. You're not sure if it was leaked or not. Like that's probably something you're going to have to report to, to to the SEC. You might say, well, the laptop was encrypted. I don't think they got at the investor data. We're not going to report on it. Like there's the, that, that's where that gray area kind of comes into play. Like firms are going to make the you know, oh, it wasn't in the U.S. and they're going to begin to kind of make decisions around what needs to be reported and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that people need to be conscious of is, you know, when the SEC does come in for for examinations, they are going to want to look at cyber incidences you had. So they're going to want you to be able to pull reporting from your platforms to be able to see what kind of alerts did you have and you know, if you didn't classify something or report something, they're going to dig into it a little further and say, hey, we saw you had an incident here. Tell us a little more about this. And they'll ask questions in terms of like, hey, what was on that endpoint? How do you know nothing got breached? Like, and you may not get fined, but I think you're going to it's going to be a kind of shot across the bow that you might want to rethink your 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 policies. But I don't think they're going to be just happy with, you know, the fact that you say you don't have any incidents like Part of this program is that you know how to monitor your environment. Right. They're very clear about that. You know, they talk, they even talk about like managed de detection and response. They talk about, you know, extended de detection and response on endpoints, you know, having IDS, IPS. So they're going to want to look at that, the data from those platforms. And, and I think this is where it becomes a little more, I think, serious, right, is that, you know, Prior, like they just issued basic guidance around, hey, you should be doing like these things. And they would come in and ask you if you were doing them and they'd be like, OK, you are. Or you aren't. Now they said, like, look, you should be doing these. You say you're doing these. Show me you're doing these. Right. And, and I think that show me piece is where the, the rubber is going to meet the road. But I do think this re reporting piece is still going to be difficult. I, I think it's going to get refined over the next several years. I don't think. This is the end of, of this rule. I think it's really just uh, a starting point. Um, look, fundamentally, I think the rule is great, as I mentioned. I, I'm not sold that it's comprehensive enough, 
However, I've always operated under, you know, perfect is the enemy of good. Right. Like we don't really have much right now. Like if we could just get to good, like, you know, our, our corporate environments will be that much better. And, and I think like, you know, I think there's a lot of criticism around the rule because it's not perfect. Right. And I think my view right. is like, I'm just happy that, that we're going to try and get to good. So. Yeah, exactly. I'd, <laughs> I would love to dig in a little bit to, um, you know, on, you know, what classifies as material, because that seems to be, you know, somewhat of a gray area as well, Rich. I mean, let me know if you agree. But, you know, in everything that I was reading, um, it's not it's not crisply defined. And I, I don't know that it could be right, given the landscape and, and who knows what's going to happen. But it seems to kind of leave a door open you know, for the SEC to kind of dig a little more, maybe. Uh, and, you know, how would a company have any. Um, I guess, uh, rebuttal or ability to refute, you know, what, how do you have a conversation on what's material or not if it's not a clear definition? I, I think that, that there's some kind of context in there, yeah. um, particularly around, you know, financials. Right. So, you know, in the past, like wire fraud is a big issue. Right. And, you know, we still see it. It's amazing how, how often it still happens today. And that was something where, like, if you could kind of take the hit on your balance sheet um, or the operating company, you wouldn't report that or even tell investors, you know. And I think now that's kind of clear. Like, we don't care if you could financially handle it. We don't care if you have insurance, if there's anything to do, like, with financial. So if it's wires or misappropriation of funds, like whatever it might be, business email compromise that resulted in any monetary you know, kind of loss, you have to re report that. So there's no gray area there. And that, that that was one, I think, that they were looking to really close the gap yeah. on because a lot of organizations were suffering from that mm -hmm. and they weren't re reporting it because their view was like, well, I could afford it. I paid for it. You know, it doesn't impact investors. I don't need to share that with right. anyone. And they're, they're like, no, you, you don't. Yeah. I think where, you know, it starts to get a little gray is, you know, what if you do have, you know, you do get ransomware, um, you know, it encrypts a server, you detect it, you remediate it, you restore the data and close the gap on, on whatever the issue was that allowed those threat actors in there. And there was no impact to your business. Do you need to re report that? Right. Some lawyers I've spoken to feel like you do. Um, I think you just got to kind of look at it case by case and have a really good like internal panel and outside counsel to to kind of think through like the spirit of the rule and, and whether or not you should re report it. My view would be like always err on the side of like, what, what's the harm in re reporting it? I feel like incidents like those happen from from time to time. And if you could articulate how you've closed the gap, right. sure, they might come in and do an audit, but that's only going to put you in a better place. Right. So. Interesting. Awesome. But it's it's I, I think that area is where it gets a little bright. Like, I think, look, if you get malware on your computer, but your your virus protection, your EDR tool catches it, quarantines it like there's no need to report that like that happens every day, you know, probably in, in most organizations, um, you know, someone clicks on a phishing link. You know, they they enter, you know, some credentials, but you get alerted on it and you reset their password. Like, I don't think things like that need to be reported. Um, you know, I think it's also the breadth of what the issue is. So 
say your organization is heavily fished, right? And 30% of the employees get it, 20% of them click on the link. You've had a bunch of credentials like compromised. That to me then like is probably something that you're going to have to report versus if it was one employee. Right. That makes sense. But I, I think it's hard. It's that, that, that's the area where, and, and I think you, you kind of hit on it. I don't know if we'll ever land on like, Hey, these are the 20 things. If they happen, like you, you need to report. I think um, my hope is that, you know, the, the SEC is a little, you know, I won't say like lenient, but more kind of, you know, giving guidance as they go through these examinations and say, you know what, I think you should have reported this. I can understand why you didn't, but going forward, like we expect that. And then making some of those use cases public saying, hey, we've been seeing these types of trends. We expect firms now to be reporting these. And that's where like they need to be a little more, you know, forward thinking and how they kind of engage with businesses, which I don't think, you know, if there's any criticism, it's probably, you know, that like where if they see things in businesses and trends, they should share them, right? right? And, and provide guidance to the you know, broader market. So. so the way you're describing it, it sounds a bit like when we got involved in the implementation of GDPR and the whole thing of when do you report a privacy breach and when do you not? And, and that side of things, except with GDPR, there were definitive guidelines around fines. Do you think they'll work their way up to where people are not reporting appropriately to start fining them? I think so. I, I think it's probably not going to come out of the gate unless it's so blatant. So if it was one of the scenarios I mentioned where, you know, you wired a million dollars to you know, a bank account um, and you didn't report that, they're going to fine you. Yeah. And I think although they, they tend not to say, hey, like, here's the starting point, you know, you know definitely – Europe and you know, UK is kind of more prescriptive, like when it comes to things like fines. I don't think they'll say, you know, this is what we're going to fine you. They tend to look at the organization, the size of the organization, and then they they kind of align the fine accordingly. Like if you look at some of the fines they issued for text messaging for for business purposes, the J.P. Morgans of the world and you know the big banks got hit really hard, right? Some smaller organizations I know that have been fined. It's been more relative to their you know balance sheet. So. Yeah. And I have a question, sorry, jumping in here too, because I, I, I love to kind of talk about kind of corner cases. And I'm, I'm just wondering your perspective of, you know, with the disclosure rules of what, four days or so. And, and I, I've been reading these articles that there's some, like FBI had some concerns uh, about, you know, reporting something so quickly. And then, you know, does that open the door to like providing a vulnerabilities roadmap to a company that, you know, that is going through an attack? I mean, what, what's your perspective on that? Is that a corner case or is that, that a big concern? I, I think it's, you know, not to be like the, the, the person in the middle, but I don't know if it's a corner case. Um, it's one of the areas that I have a little bit of concern about, because depending on sure. the type of issue, the FBI kind of expressed it. You first off, sometimes it may take, depending on the type of breach, it could take a while to figure out like what the root cause is. Um, and everyone is going to be very reluctant to report something unless they've gotten all the information, right? Having spent my career on the other side of the fence, I've, I've been involved in incidences before, and you want to know everything before you go to the regulators. 
And I think yeah. like that, that rule, my hope is that over time that evolves a little bit and maybe we can classify certain types of incidents and create like a reporting framework around it. I think that if it's a significant in- incident and a firm took longer than four days, but they still like re- reported it, I don't think that they're going to get dinged for not reporting it in the four days, right? right? You know, I think they, they would get dinged if like they didn't report it at all. But I think, you know, or like the, you could re- report it and say there's going to be a follow-up report in, in, you know, several days. So maybe there's an initial, you know, SAR type report that you file, you file. And then subsequent to that, you have like, a you know, two weeks, right, to kind of follow up with a final re- report and analysis on it. Um, the other piece, which the FBI is concerned about is, you know, if it's a kind of like zero day vulnerability that's being exploited in the wild, do we want to be reporting those and making those you know, public, you know, before the software companies have time to kind of close the gap and, and patch those? And I think that is a little bit of, of an edge case. Uh, but we're seeing more of those right. today. And I, and I think that needs to be accounted for going forward. Right. As I mentioned earlier, like, you know, perfect is the enemy of good. And I think this is one of those items that that keeps this rule, you know, a little bit, you know, on the good side and not closer to perfect right. is you know, right. defining these a little more clearly because zero days happen quite a bit there. You know, there's a couple that came out this week. You know, you don't always hear about them as much anymore because they do happen so, so frequently. But giving the software vendors time to kind of close the gaps on these before it's made, you know, broadly known is really it helps businesses. Right? And, you know, we, we need a little bit of time to, to be able to close those gaps. So jumping into kind of the final regulations that they came out with, um, Forbes did a recent opinion piece that highlighted five considerations that were overlooked by the SEC's final regulations. Um, from the potential for insider trading, you know, to board involvement in cybersecurity, um, do you think it's a concern that they haven't regulated around these areas? Well, I mean, look, they, they have regulated around the, the board, right? They are making the board accountable for cybersecurity. And that's why I really think it's important that you build out that program that we talked about earlier, because you're going to want to be able to report to your board on a consistent basis. And I think that's another, like when you develop the right program and have the right like reporting framework for the you know, security you know, framework that you're using, whether it be NIST or ISO or you know, CIS, you know, they see consistency um, and can be able to provide guidance. And you could also show change over time. So my posture was X and now it's Y and allows them to make decisions and investments. Um, <clears throat> I think some of the issues originally I believe the SEC wanted someone, you know, with cybersecurity expertise on the board. Right. And I think in general, they got pressure in pulling that back. You know, I think there was a lot of big companies that were like, look, we have board members. We respect them. They'll get cybersecurity training, but we're not going to punt them because they're not a cybersecurity expert. And I think that kind of made sense. I do think that, you know, board members need certifications. And I think cybersecurity is one of them. I think, you know, you have to have some sort of cybersecurity certification to be able to, you know, sit on a board, I think is is fair. And I think that rule is going to evolve over time. 
So I think it'll be, you know, directors of public boards or independent directors of private companies will have to have some sort of certification, you know, maybe by, you know, I think the one of the training bodies is the NACD. They'll probably put something out and, you know, they'll they'll have to kind of you know, take it. So um, but I do think the board needs to be accountable. Um because if they're not, then it doesn't drive like that tone from the top is big. You know, anytime you want to get something implemented, you make the board accountable. You know, back in 2009, when we had kind of the, the mortgage crisis and, you know, how uh, private funds were investing in, you know, securities associated and tied to mortgages and derivatives of that. When they implemented controls around risk, they made the board accountable. And right away, you know, everything changed. Right. It was like, okay, we want to look at these types of reports. We want to see this on a monthly basis. We want to see this on a quarterly basis. When you're the one who can actually get dinged personally, it becomes a different environment. Right. And I do think they've they've done a good job in laying the foundation for that here. Uh, but I do think they need to build on it and, you know, make sure that there's the proper certifications and accountability. I think where the rubber meets the road is where an organization has issues and they see that the board wasn't really looking and managing that cyber risk. They need to go after them or else it's going to set a precedent, you know, from right. from there. So at least they're working ways to drive behaviors, which which I think is positive. Um, one of the other things that the SEC regs included was um, a proposal, an AI proposal regarding employees to monitor for and eliminate conflicts of interest when using the generative AI tools. Um, do you think this proposal is adequate in, in addressing the threat of AI within public finance companies? And is it even feasible? No, I mean, it's not It's not even close to, you know, something that, that needs to be thought about around generative AI. Um, I've, as I mentioned, I think at the beginning of the podcast, I've been living, you know, cybersecurity, SEC, and, and, a, and AI for, for probably the last several months. Um, AI presents a whole kind of different set of risks, um, you know, depending on the organization. And, you know, you really need to kind of understand, you know, how you're going to be using these tools um, what business are they aligned with um, and really putting a cyber its own kind of cyber framework around it. You know, one of the things I've been working on with clients is kind of a secure compliant way to use chat GPT. Right. You know, there's you know, like, you know, you could go into chat GPT. You could ask questions around code. Right. So but how do you know that code isn't malicious? Right. How do you know that? Like the questions you ask and the links and the information it's providing is not bringing you to like a, a malicious site. There's a way to do things like prompt injections and other types of things. Um, threat actors are very smart. Um, they've already figured out you know that there's so much excitement around these large language models, right? That are part of that kind of generated world, and they know how to manipulate them. You know, and you know there's there, so you really need to kind of almost. Look at and I think, you know, the, the SEC had something the other day and um, I believe it was, you know, one of the private fund publications around, you know, they're going to go in and as they're doing examinations now, they're looking at how firms are using AI. So they're not going in and saying, hey, like we're, we're going to find you, but they are starting to now kind of do like try to understand how firms are using it so they could begin to, I think, put some guardrails around it. And they're looking at things like if you're a trading organization and you're using, you know, AI to kind of generate trade ideas, do you have a kill switch? 
Like what are the guardrails that you're putting around those kind of models to make sure that it doesn't stray one way or the other, right? And that if you have to kill it, it kills, you know, you can shut it down quickly, you know, and is there surveillance, right? So one of the things I've been working on with like a tool that we're developing is we can provide surveillance around how people are using AI and chat GPT. So compliance officers could see like, hey, we're going in, we're entering this type of data. Here's the kind of you know, questions we're asking the tool. Here are the answers we're getting. So you can then modify those to be able to prevent things, right, and, and enhance it a little bit. And those were a few things they mentioned, which I think are kind of you know foundational to, to probably what they'll begin to kind of discuss going forward. But that rule is, I, I thought it was a little premature because there, there's so much around AI and, right. you know, it's, you know, it's, it's use cases that I don't, I don't think it could kind of scratch the surface around giving people good guidance around it. It probably only created a little more what I think were reservations around using it. So you have organizations mm. now that really want to use like these tools and they are powerful and they're, mm. and look, you know, I would want to be enabling it across my organization as well, but then you're like, well, SEC is saying, like, we got to do these things, like, let's hold off before we start leveraging these tools. You know, they're, you know, you know they could be the uh, kind of fire hose for innovation sometimes. So. <laughs> Question, though, in, in terms of your experience of looking at implementing um, AI across your businesses, um, are you considering how to actually protect the, the actual machine learning models and techniques and stuff that's behind this and and the data sets that you're you're actually feeding them with are you well, are you yeah. making considerations on that or could make recommendations to people who want to do something similar yes i i think it really starts you know i, I kind of when we began to engage a lot more around generative ai the first thing that like i started with was like what do you need to do, right? So I call it like organized. So how do you get yourself organized first? Like what are the use cases you're going to use this for? Begin to create a steering committee and really kind of clearly define like the use of it. Because oftentimes what happens is, especially with technology like this, everyone's got ideas and you end up in that kind of position where you're trying to boil the ocean, right? right? <laughs> you know, finance has an idea, you know, accounting has an idea, you know, marketing, you know, sales, you know, trading, everyone's got ideas. Yeah. Boil it down to that kind of one use case and then begin to define the acceptable use, right, of AI for that use case and then define what is the underlying data, right? And then how are we going to store that data? Where is it stored today? Who has access to it? You know, those are really, like, I think people like, we all want to skip to the cool stuff, right? And Microsoft's coming out with Copilot soon and we're really excited about that. I think that's going to change the way people work. Um, for forever now, right? I think fundamentally it changes that. But you need to, if you don't do those things, and and there's several more you probably need to think about, um, you're going to end up in a bad spot. Meaning you're going to have data loss. Um, you know, people, you're going to get the wrong results. You know, if, when you don't understand your data, who has access to it? You know, how is it updated? Like I call it like the who, what, where, when, why around data. If you can't answer those questions, you have risk around using AI against that data. So when you begin to answer those questions and develop out those use cases, I think you could end up in, in a really good spot. And then now you have an example of how you've developed out one use case and you could expand that into like other areas going forward and maybe find some things like, hey, we want to fine tune it here. We didn't think about, 
you know, when we're using this type of like, you know, investor data, we need to store it here or encrypt it here or, or do those types of things because data residency is really important. Like, when you're using a lot of these AI tools and how you deploy them, you know, you need to align with all of the the regulatory environment, even though it doesn't specifically call out AI, it calls out the, the underlying data itself. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I think those are things that people tend to, you know, overlook as you're as you're kind of diving into these things. So excellent. I, I always end up being the one to kind of like, you know. The negative one, they're like, oh, I thought we could just start using it. I'm like, <laughs> but I really do want you to use it, right? It's right. just, it's just there's a way to go about using it, you know. Like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging because look, it's exciting stuff. So, it's, it's also the whole thing that individuals who are using it probably don't necessarily understand the the methodologies behind it, and because everyone is like, oh, I'll use it for everything. You know, I want to I want to do all these different things with it, and and on a personal basis, lots of people are using it in really entertaining kind of ways. But you just kind of sit there yeah. going, "What is what are you actually trying to get out yeah. of it?" So it is that that key use case. How how do you really want to use this? Because there is also the whole thing of how do you want to use it? What are you training it with? Because I always believe in the garbage in, garbage out principle. So if if it's not clear how you want to use it, what you're training it with, you may not find the answers that you want. Well, you know, it's that's you know that, that's a really good point, and it's one of the things that we kind of try and articulate as well is if you don't have your house in order from a data perspective, you know, it's kind of that garbage in, your garbage out thing. Um, you also bring up another good point. You know, the the SEC did mention in that kind of private funds memo that they do want you to be able to prove how you should be able to see the lineage in terms of how you got to the your answer with AI. So it's not just about like, hey, like it, it made this decision and then we traded based on this. It needs to be like it made this decision. Here's what went into it. Here's the decision tree, right? And be able to kind of at least prove out your work, right? Like I always go back to it when. You know, my kids come home and they have a 98 on their math test because they just wrote the answers down and did and didn't you know show the work, right? You got to show your work, and I think you know that that's a really good point to 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 bring up. So it also it makes it much more traceable, and and therefore then you can be accountable if it's traceable. What you've actually done, how you've done it, what you fed it with, what you're querying that data with. So so that that's brilliant. Yeah. That's Britain. And, and you know, look, so, as um, an investor, right? If you have a company where you're investing your, you know, 401k with or, or your retirement funds, like I want them to be able to have that in place for for AI. As you know, look, as someone who loves AI, you know, and has a certain level of trust with it, it's it's again how how it's applied. So I want to make sure that you're using it correctly. I got to protect. I want to make sure my investment is being protected properly. And I think that's where the SEC is going to start, right, is to kind of begin to kind of make sure that, you know, investors are, are protected as firms begin to use these tools. Yeah, it's it's an exciting time, but also, a, I guess, a, a scary time because who, who knows where this whole AI thing's going to go, you know, as it morphs and evolves and and more deeply oh, yeah. entrenches I mean, into our day-to-day -day lives. <laughs> yeah, everyone has their concern. You know, I, I try and tell people, like, think about it as, you know, similar to Excel. Like, when you go back and you read the articles about when Excel first came out, 
people are like, this thing is garbage. It's never going to take fold. Oh, no wow. one's ever going to use it. Can, can you imagine? I actually <laughs> had the article. It was in one of these computer magazines. I, I used to keep it in my, um, my, my, my old office. Now that I work from home, like no one really has offices anymore, right? But um, it's, it's cool like, to look at that. And now you think about it, like, can you even get a job without Excel? I mean, yeah. Excel yeah. is like, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if our economy in all seriousness could function <laughs> like without Excel. And, and I think like these, some of these AI tools, especially like some of the things you have with like Copod, I think those things are basically going to become the new Excel. So I don't think it, it kind of like replaces jobs, but like the right. people who know how to use them, right, are, are going to be, you know, the, the ones who are going to excel in their roles. And, exactly. you know, I, look, yeah. and, and I think that security is going to play a huge, huge role in that. So. And I, I also think there has to be the human review piece of it, because my my concerns with the use of AI is people are overly trusting <laughs> of the technology that they don't check right. it, and that's that's insanity. Because <laughs> like, you know it, it, AI it is, is only yeah. as good as what you done with it so and and just I, so we did have a situation where we were discussing well what should our ai policy be and so someone asked chat gpt what should they write me an ai policy and then they sent it out and they kind of went well you know and i was like did you even check the content of it well it should be good enough and and that's that's where i get super oh my goodness <laughs> well, you know it's it's you know, one of the things that, that we worked on at our platform is you know the hallucinations right so these models are designed to answer the question right, right? so yes, they're going absolutely. to like fill it with what if they don't have the data or the data is incomplete or even inaccurate they don't care, right? They're going to use and, and they're going to interpolate part of that re response. So when you're using it for business purposes, you need to know, like, to what level, like, this answer is accurate, right? right? Is it is it Absolutely. a one or is it a five, right? Because if you're going to use it for, like, sending something out to clients or using it internally, I mean, there's a lot of risk there. And you're right. People just think, like, they use it like Google. Yeah. So they think, like, whatever yeah. comes up on the Internet it's must be true. You know, as far as reading an article a couple of weeks ago, and you know, look, I'm, I'm I'm an old man, right? So when the internet first came out, do you remember there was all of those like stories about people on the internet, all these false stories, like um, Mr. Rogers and like Chuck Norris and all of that, <laughs> and like people were saying like this is what's happening with Chat GPT because people just believe anything that's coming back from it because they're so oh, excited to to use it that like they're they're not questioning the the answers so <laughs> Exactly. So that's where my paranoia of AI lies. Is it's like there has to be expert human review of what is actually coming out of it before you push that out. Yeah, yeah. but you know, some people it's a lot of extra work, Audra. You know, <laughs> why worry about it? It's good enough. Exactly. Yeah, what could go it wrong? sounds compelling. Yeah. <laughs> tell that to, to the lawyer who created like what was it? Several briefs using oh, chat yeah. GPT, and it made up like false cases. <laughs> I mean, I know. that's what people like need to understand. Like that stuff is real. Or you know, on the flip side, the Samsung engineers who entered information about like you know their chips into the model to see what it would kind of come back with, and now the chip data is now in the model forever. So you can go in there and ask it questions around, 
like like Samsung, like chip information. So like, I don't think people fully understand like how how these tools work and and like why it's important to be a little bit like you know prudent around it and like careful reading the things right are you know like it saved you from having to do it in the first place. Like you could take the fifteen minutes to read it. Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Oh, that's so, so fun. So but okay. <laughs> so considering that you're living the the AI with cybersecurity on a regular basis, what keeps you up at night about that combination? I, I think what you just talked about, but in particular to uh, code. So I, I've seen now like trends where people now like look. You know, my son is a computer science major in college, and he was doing some you know homework, and I wouldn't let him use you know you know any of the tools to like because I want him to learn from the bottom up. But I would he would ask me questions, and I would go on Chat GPT, and I, I would see like the code that it spits out, and it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think from time to time, as I mentioned, there's a lot of risk in in using that code because. You know, you don't know like the repositories it came from and, you know, how it kind of brought it together. You know, there's been a lot of cases where, you know, organizations have used it. There's links to libraries that are malicious. Um, you know, so there's there, there's a lot there to to be concerned around. And, and the code piece is, is is concerning to me because I think people in the rush to use it are not like bringing the code together properly and could be creating like unnecessary risk to, to their organization. And some of the things that we're, you know, starting to kind of talk to clients about, and and this was even before AI was really around putting like malware tools around, like your coding, your app dev environment and DevOps and integrating it, you know, more closely. So you could scan your, your source code repositories. And now I'm like, look, if you're going to use like Copilot for GitHub or ChatGPT and those tools, you need to kind of layer in, you know, this. And I mean, tying it back to the SEC, they're going to be looking at not necessarily AI, but as I mentioned earlier, they want you to right size your program to, you know, your business. So if you're using like algorithms to execute on trades uh, and you're using tools like, you know, you know, ChatGPT and, and, and Copilot, they're going to expect you to have some controls around that. And, you know, they're going to expect to see that you are looking for malware and, and things like that. Like that to me is going to become, you know, the de facto standard. Um, I think the other thing with, you know, AI that kind of generally concerns me is I don't want to see people get lazy. <laughs> right. right. So, yes. you know, like, you know, the, the, the tools are good for, for like work optimization, but, you know, we still need to kind of challenge things and be critical around, you know, content and, and, and produce and just not like similar to what you were saying, take what these models kind of feedback as as gold. Like where I see them, the first really strong use case is really just what they, you know, the large language models really excel at is looking at large unstructured data. So if you have, you know, a million documents that, you know, have kind of legal terms in there, if you could train that model to go in and say, hey, show me where I have NDAs, where I can't do this, right, around this date, like, that's great, like, because having and being able to kind of sift through large number of documents and and finding those answers. but, you know, to use them in a more kind of like pervasive way, I think now is is a little too early. Yeah. So. Agreed. Agreed. Nice. Well, um, 
I would love to come back in a year, Rich, and see how everything has played out since our conversation. Because I have a feeling in a year, this is going to be a really, really interesting conversation to pick up. Uh, with- oh, yeah. Well, I mean, look, we have a- <laughs> AI and even look the, the the SEC one would be interesting to pick up exactly. because you know it's going to be codified next exactly. month, right? So, and you know, I think you know next year will be a year where like you know it'll start to be you know included in examinations and, and we'll start to see kind of where the the rubber meets exactly. the road. Uh, yeah. So, and look, you know, I'm excited. I think um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the it's it's about time some of these organizations get their act together from a cyber perspective. Um, and look, you know, insurance is getting more and more challenging these days. So, you know, the premiums are going up right on cyber insurance. And I think this is actually going to help firms. I was talking with a client last week who we advised and implemented like the program, like we talked about, and they're like, Rich, my cyber insurance went down. I'm like, see, awesome. like, so like, <laughs> I, I think that people don't also understand like there's, there's a cause and effect right. and the ones that don't have cyber insurance, like you're going to have to get it. Right? right. But, you know, I think that, you know, the, the, the spend around cyber has always been, I think something that has held like organizations back. And that's where I think the board play also helps a little bit. Right. Cause they're in the end, they're, they're the ones who kind of help drive the purse strings a little bit. So I think this will give it departments who have struggled with getting funding, give them a little bit around more of what they need to kind of get that environment up to snuff. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's an exciting time. I, I, I love technology. And I love the evolution. It uh, keeps things interesting. Well, Rich, thanks so yeah. much for joining us again. This has been so much fun. And, you know, thanks for breaking down these SEC guidelines because it's I mean, in 250 page proposal. That's a lot to have to go through. So thanks for reading it yes. and, and digesting it for our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah. Anytime, anytime. It'll put most people to sleep. So <laughs> Fantastic. It'll help those nights you can't exactly. sleep because you're worried about how people are using AI. <laughs> uh, in the proposal. Uh, people, you know, you're using AI to uh, mock your voice, like, you know, all that stuff. It's just, it's, 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 <laughs> Right. <laughs> Maybe I could join Hilarious. the next podcast with my AI replica. That would so. be so much fun. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then we can ask you your your AI replica questions and see whether you agree with the answers. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Love it. All right. Well, to all of our listeners out there, thanks again for joining us for another awesome conversation. Uh, And again, thank you, Rich, for joining us. Chief Innovation Officer at ECI, Rich Eatry. As always, great to have you back. And and to everyone out there, uh, stay secure until we catch you again. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. 